So today we're talking about legacy in a, a series that Pastor started, and it's my opportunity to continue that. And uh, my name is Ryan. I'm uh, the student ministry pastor here, and uh, I'm very excited to uh, uh, bring the word to you. And uh, uh, in your Bible, turn to Hebrews six. I'll give you a minute to to start there. And uh, today we're talking about one of my favorite topics: motion sickness. Which is not really my favorite topic, but it, it's uh, the title of my message. And um, if you can't remember that, you know, that's, that's pretty easy. So uh, I travel uh, occasionally for, uh, uh, for ministry purposes and then occasionally uh, for uh, fun. We call it vacation, but uh, um, it's not really fun when you have kids to travel. So you just, you just travel to get to fun, right? You know, traveling's not the fun part. That's the painful part, right? You, you want to get to fun. How many of you have ever flown with infants before? Where am, I, where am I flown with infant crowd? Okay, so here's the trick. If they're under the age of two, they can fly on your lap. And you think, man, what a great deal. That's not going to cost me anything. My friend, it will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. Let me show you a picture. We were heading out of L.A., and uh, how many of you know LAX is just such a, a well-designed airport, not busy at all? Uh, uh, so this is, uh, we're, we're talking about packing your bags. So let's show that first picture here. Uh, so this, uh, that's my shoulder in kind of the corner there. I, I pulled these uh, stills off of a, a video I posted to YouTube because it was so ridiculous. You'll see that Every single one of my walking family is pushing a cart, including me. And then Julie, way in the back, is pushing the non-walking members of the family. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we have uh, two six-year-old twin boys, and then two, uh, they were at that time uh, younger, but uh, seven-month-old uh, twin girls. And so um, that was the entire Hakes clan, and we're pushing. I have a cart. Logan has a cart. Jack has a cart. Julie has a stroller, and she's dragging something. I, I don't know what it was, something she bought. I made her, I made her hold it. And then, uh, uh, and then, so this is before I got rid of the, um, the vehicle that we rented. So I got them to the gate and got them through security, and then I went back and returned the car, which in turn made me late, but there's no real way to, to figure this out. And so then I had to, um, it's in like a U-shape, so instead of waiting, for the traffic to get all the way around, I got off on, on um, the first terminal and ran across the uh, entire LAX, which is about uh, a mile and a half at full sprint with uh, two backpacks, one on my front and one on my back, which I guess that makes it a belly pack. But as I ran, um, the, the plane started loading. And then they started shutting the door, and Julie started threatening the person shutting the door. And then, uh, you know, thank, thank God TSA wasn't called. But as I, I came on the plane, the, uh, the next slide, this is uh, what it looks like. There's an awesome Spirit Airlines lady, and she was holding one of the girls because Julie was packing up the car seat. And, and we handed the, girl, uh, the other girl and then the two boys, and there's a lot of logistics going on. And then, um, so she held one of the kids, and then this is what we looked like like after we were finally there that is uh that's a good look for me there's julie the kids and god bless steve jobs there's two ipads praise the lord that is the greatest invention ever made or at least i thought so 
Because one of the problems with an iPad on an airplane undergoing turbulence is it makes six-year-olds motion sick. And somehow, they time it to be right at the same time. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, I suffer from motion sickness, and genetically, I pass that little gift on to my kids, and uh, so we were all dealing with that, and uh, when, when I first got married, you could just go back to the title site, when I first got married, this is what I traveled, I traveled a ton for work, because I did video production for uh, missionaries and uh, Christian ministries, so this is, this is my little case, I would pack this full, I could go two weeks, and the reason you had to go light is because you couldn't check all the camera gear, it was much too expensive, much too delicate, you had to carry that on, so this would be, this would be the lightest I could go, because all the gear was very heavy, and, and I mean, I once went to Costa Rica with only a package, I used to go with just, uh, I'd buy a package of Hanes shirts and socks and stuff, and, and I would pick the package based on the number on the bag, because that bag then would correlate to the, the number of days on the trip. So it was like an eight-day trip, I'd buy an eight-day bag of everything, and then that would just be it. And, and so I remember on our honeymoon, I, I busted this puppy out, I was ready to go to uh, um, uh, Mexico with my, my beautiful bride and she had th- I had that and she goes okay go get my bag and I go get her bag I, I need both doors open for this here we go okay and she brings out this bag I said are you riding inside of it like right and I'm like what could you possibly need we're going to a, a beach destination you know it's 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 like and 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 uh and i to be honest i actually forgot almost all of my clothes and was wearing like one pair of shorts she was mad at me she goes you don't look cute for our honeymoon i'm like sorry uh and, and but like but like this this is packing heavy right there's there's people who pack light and people who pack heavy and the hakes family now packs heavy okay because, and, and seriously, the boys, they were a lot of work. They were, they were a lot of, like, a little doodads, you know, little kids need. But I didn't understand that even at the age of six months, girls require this. So here's what happens, and dads, maybe you can, uh, can uh, uh, kind of get along with me. You, you end up giving up space in your bag for her stuff. Right? And if it doesn't happen at home, I'll tell you where it does happen, at the check-in counter. You're eight pounds over. And she goes, mm, here you go, you know, and you're like, oh, you know, but you, you got to do what you got to do. And, and so the, the girls require all this stuff and, and all these things, and, and that leads to this weird transition. And that's what traveling really is. Traveling is transition. And we all are going through transitions. Now, Here's something that's very interesting, and this is one of the reasons I love being a youth and young adult pastor, is because before the age of 35, a person will go through 95% of all of their major life changes. 
Now think about it. You're, you learn to walk. You learn to talk. You, you go through all of your schooling before 35. Usually you, you, uh, you um, uh, find a, a wife or a husband. You, you have kids usually by 35. And uh, you have a career you choose. There's all sorts of major life shifts. So I love being a part of that with young adults and, uh, uh, and teenagers. If nothing else, just to laugh and say, ah, oh, ha, ha, see, it's, it's, you'll make it. It's okay. You know, they, they, it's the worst thing in the world at that moment. And, and so what I want to talk about today is those transitions. But if you're older than 35, which I don't see hardly anybody older than 35 in here, but uh, uh, if you happen to be, you know, 38, 39, that's fine. But like, uh, if you're older than 35, there's still major changes, major changes. And maybe it's not life changes in the, the sense of who do I get married to or where do I go to college? What do I major in? All that kind of stuff. But it could be some sort of change that's thrust upon you. Are all changes good? Nope. And everybody over the age of 35 goes, nope. Nope. Right? Because if you're over the age of 35 and you have knees or lower back, you know that not all changes are good, right? And uh, uh, there, is, there is changes that happen slowly, and then there's changes that are thrust upon you immediately. And then there's changes you can see way down the road, right? I can see the day that my boys get married. Now, I can't see the day that my girls get married. I'm pretty sure they won't. They will stay in Ryan's basement. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. They're gonna, I, 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 told, I held them the other day, and I said, you can stay with me forever. You, you, you can't. No boys. And, uh, but, like, there's changes that come down the pipe. And then there's changes that fall on you like a lead pipe. You know what I'm talking about. There are changes in relationships. Perhaps you are a new empty nester. One of my ministries here at the church is to be alongside parents. And one of the interesting changes is to watch as parents walk through the changes, the transitions in their kids. So if you have a preteen girl in your house, uh, God bless you. But like if you have a preteen girl in your house, that's a big change. That's a big change. If, if, if she gets married, uh, you know, when she's 45 or whatever, and, and that's a big change, right? If, you're, if your son is getting ready to move out, you've become an empty nester. Wow, you, you have to get to know your wife or your husband in a brand new way. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about legacy from a point of view that you may not have thought about before. You see, when you look at what you're moving, when you're moving and what you look at makes a huge difference in whether or not you get motion sickness. I can't read in the car. Some of you are blessed with that opportunity. I can't. I gotta, I gotta sit stock still and be very careful. And so talking about legacy, solid people is what I want to talk about this morning. Because solid People build solid relationships. And solid relationships build solid homes. And solid homes have solid kids. And solid kids is a solid legacy. Pastor Hal said this, There is no success without successors. There is no success without 
successors. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have children. It doesn't mean that at all. And if you don't have children, this message is still for you. What it means is, is you have to have a solid relationship with Christ, a solid personality, a solid standing in who you are, and then eventually impart upon that other things. We have mentors that lead our youth and young adults, and they are solid, and they are building up in them solid things. In contrast to solid is motion. And if a motion-sick person starts a relationship, that relationship will be motion-sick. And sick relationships have sick homes. And sick homes raise sick kids. And sick kids raise sick legacies. And today, we are in a community, we are in a state, we are in a nation that is so confused. And we're, we're looking around and we're like, what's going on? Where are we? And, and, and we've gone through so many transitions. Uh, pastor Ben, the middle school pastor, just celebrated his great-grandma's 102nd birthday. Think about that. Isn't that incredible? A hundred and two. I mean, she was born in a time where it was not uncommon to get on a horse to go somewhere. Think about that. That's insane. And all of these things have shifted before her very eye. She still lives downtown in Hamtramck by herself in the home she lived in since she was six years old. Isn't that amazing? I, you know, I love that. I love that idea. And, and so here's this, here's this, here's this passage. In Hebrews, and Hebrews is incredible. Hebrews is, uh, is an unknown author, but I really, I really get excited when we read Hebrews. It's very dense. It's very dense. So we're not going to read a ton of it, but we're going to read Hebrews 6, and I'm going to read out of the New International Version because I like the way some of the words are. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Hebrews 6. If you got it, say yeah. yeah. All right. That was hearty. I like it. Uh, I'm making all the youth and young adults bring their paper Bibles, their paper Bibles, their analog Bibles, so that they can, they can flip through it and go, oh, you know, they're like, this is called pages. You know, they like it. So, uh, so I, I really encourage you, if you uh, want to, grab a book and a Bible in the pew in front of you. Here we go, Hebrews 6, 16. People swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said. And puts an end to all arguments. 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. Okay, so we got promise, we got oath. Two very different things. 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable Things, see, I, I, I just said that it was two things. It's, it's definitely two things. In which it is impossible for God to lie. Did you know God can't do certain things? He can't lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Put your hand on your chest and say, for my soul. Ah, oh, doesn't that feel good? Firm, secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Forerunner means one who goes before. He has become a high priest forever 
in the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would open this scripture up to us. God, I pray that you would change the way we think about what you are and your son is in relation to the changes and transitions that we're in. Father, in the liminal spaces of our lives, I pray that you would have your anointing on all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what do you travel with? You see, the airport is a liminal space. It's an exciting place. It's an interesting place because it's, it's, it's uh, often filled with a lot of emotion. You ever notice that? There's old lovers reuniting. There's, uh, there's exciting college kids on their first trip abroad. There's, uh, there's military shipping out with crying spouses. There's, there's all of these emotions. And it's, a, it's this interesting space. And And then you contrast that with the bored traveler. The bored traveler. I would say 90% of people on airplanes are like, day in, day out, they just get on the airplane and that's what they do. And these guys are pros. And So let me me go through and let's talk about some of the things you might bring on your flight. So uh, something that I think is is a necessity is the neck pillow. Oh yeah, this is a good one. Um, I don't know why it clips together. That is tighter than it should be, but that's okay. Okay, so we got the neck pillow. This is awesome. I found this one under my seat the last time we flew. You may think that's gross, but you know what? When you need a neck pillow, you don't care where it came from. Just saying that. I Lysoled it. I Lysoled it after a three-hour flight. Okay, here we go. Um, Okay, this is a good one. This is a good one. Okay, so this, this is my my security uh, blanket pocket holder protector. So uh, my mom got this for me when I went on my first missions trip at 18 years old. And the reason is, is because as my mom said, they're going to run up to you with pieces of cardboard and they're going to squirt ketchup and mustard on your pants. And that way you get distracted and then they're going to, they're going to pickpocket you. I swear. That's what she told me was going to happen on the missions trip to Jamaica. I was freaked out. I was so worried. I wore black pants because at least, you know, the ketchup wouldn't show up too much. I didn't see anybody with ketchup. Like nothing, you know, maybe a little bit of like jerk chicken, but no ketchup anywhere. But I thought that was hilarious. So I wore this and it gets all hot and sweaty and it's underneath and it's filled with money and your, your, uh, your passport and it's bulging out. So you look like you have like a, a little goiter going on here and everybody. So I thought people were really going to pickpocket me. What I didn't understand is I'm kind of freakishly tall. So at six and a half feet tall and 230 pounds, I actually have to run after people on a missions trip. I'm like, please, let me tell you about Jesus, you know? People are not trying to pickpocket. Nobody's coming up clo- close behind the giant guy, right? So I've never been pickpocketed. I, I stopped using this. Uh, so if you need one, but like I thought that was going to be a real big thing. It, it wasn't. Uh, how about how about this one? Oh, I like this one. These are multivitamins. Uh, Maybe you, you fell for the, the trap of the, uh, what is that, uh, the, the, uh, the, the vitamin zinc and, you know, vitamin C and all that stuff. And you, you gobble a bunch before you get on the airplane, right? And you're like, well, a teacher came up with that, so it must be good. You know, I don't know what the name of the brand is, but, like, we eat all this stuff. And, and so we've got, we've got our vitamins. We're worried about vitamins, and I do the gummy ones because I don't like swallowing the... What's going on. Okay, here, how about this one? Um, maybe, I don't know what it is about flying on an airplane, but you uh, get the worst breath ever, 
and, um, and then you sit next to me and talk to me for the entirety of the flight, right? Okay, so there we go. We got, uh, we got that. I mean, how do you subtly pour that into a sleeping person's mouth? I don't know, but uh, uh, we, we'll figure it out. Okay, here we go. Here we go. I like this one. Okay. There we go. Okay, so uh, uh, this is, uh, I'm actually going to be preaching the entire message uh, with this on. Uh, I've, I've finished the rest of this message in Braille here, but... Uh, uh, so here's the funny thing about this. Here's the funny thing about this. You're on an airplane with 230 strangers. And the first thing you do is blindfold yourself, right? Like, that's a great idea. You're like, I trust everyone here, right? Like, I'm going to go to sleep with someone literally on top of my left arm. And a baby drooling on my knee. You know what I mean? Like, that's going to happen. This, this, like, this is going to protect me. Maybe you get some headphones, too. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot the headphones. I always forget the headphones. That's the problem. And then you're looking longingly at everyone else listening to their tunes. And you're like, oh, I bet they're listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire. I'd love that. So we've got all these things. But really, there's only one that matters. You don't need the pillow, right? You, I definitely didn't need the, the travel protecting pocket. You don't need these as uh, one of a, uh, my young adults who's a student busted that myth up for me. You, you, you don't need the. It's nice, but you don't need it. What you need when you need it is a little pill called Dramamine. How many of you know you always have it? You always have that little tube, you know, you got it somewhere, it's getting old and crusty in the back of some like drawer in your bathroom, and you need it, and you're on an airplane or a train or, you know, that one relative is driving the car and you just, you're dying, right? You're like air braking for them, you're like, please, God, you know, and, and you don't have it. This is the thing that we found that saves our soul when we're on road trips with the kids. And this is the, this is the Dramamine for kids. It's really great. And uh, um, when, when, when you have motion sickness, how many of you know nothing else matters? When you're motion sick, you don't care about nothing. You, you don't care about even being nice. You get mean, right? You're like, listen, it's either you don't talk to me and I look straight ahead or you're going to have to change that shirt. I'm just, that's what I'm warning you right now, okay? So tonight, or this morning, we're going to talk about how to fight motion sickness. All of us are headed somewhere. All of us are in transition. Did you know that? You're all in transition. We're all in transition. Now, sometimes your transitions are very dramatic. Julie and I, uh, six months ago, had twin girls, Dramatic, right? And, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's funny because um, uh, I was up at three this morning, you know, uh, putting a bottle in and that kind of stuff. What I didn't realize with the first set of twins is that Julie was, was uh, uh, we had a, it's your turn, it's my turn. Did you guys do this? It's your turn, it's my turn. Oh, you didn't? Okay, all right. You're the real tough guy, right? I don't, I've never touched a diaper in my life, bro. Well, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You were fighting a boxing match. We were doing like D-Day, right? When you got twins, it's everybody's got to chip in or the whole thing falls apart, right? So I've changed. I, don't, I have no shame. I'll change the diapers. I'll make the bottles. Uh, you know, I'll sing them to sleep. I don't care. And so I was up at three this morning. And, uh, um, but the, the thing that I didn't realize is Julie had been tricking me with Jack and Logan. Because I'm such a deep sleeper, I'm one of those like amnesia sleepers, it was always my turn. Ryan, get up. It's, it's your turn. Huh? 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 Okay. 
And I'd go, and I'd, you know, Ryan, 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 get up, get up, get up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's your turn. I, I don't think that's right, but I'm not an expert, and I didn't keep a log. Okay, okay. So she didn't think that we would have twins twice. So, so she l- laughed about this later and told me. That was her mistake. That was your mistake, Julie. She told me and laughed. Ha, 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 I tricked you. Then we had twins again. And I'm like, I am not falling for that again. So instead, what we did is we split it into time zones, right? You want the late shift or the early shift, right? Which one do you want? And then on, on certain days, like when we have to get up early, I'm like, all right, you're working a double tonight, okay? At the diner, you're doing the double shift. So um, uh, they're teething right now. One's got like 16 teeth coming in, of course. And, you know, uh, and so uh, she is mom of the year. Give it up for Julie, mom of the year. She is awesome. We're crazy. I'm crazy about you. We're all headed in transition. We're traveling through life, and sometimes it can give us motion sickness. We get knocked off balance. The ground beneath our feet doesn't feel solid. So how do you prepare for what's next? Well, I think it's in the Bible. It's in this verse. So let's just go through this. Look at verse 16. It says, people swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. People swear by someone greater than themselves. I remember when I was young around elementary age, there was this gamesmanship when you were trying to convince somebody that something happened, you're like, oh no, that house is haunted, I swear. What? Yeah, I swear, right? And then you're like, oh my gosh, he's serious, right? Then as you get a little bit older, they had to start swearing on things, right? And so, I don't know if they do this up north, but in the south, they go, I'd swear on my mama. You're like, oh snap, that is, that is serious. He means that. He swore on his mama, right? But then, but then maybe I didn't believe you. They'd go up a generation. I swear I'm a grandma. Ooh. And then, and then they would get dark with it, right? They, they'd go, I swear on my great-grandma's grave. And you're like, ah, I don't know what that means, but you've got to be telling the truth, right? And then when we, we become an adult, right, we still say it. We curse. They, they swear to God, and, and, and you're like, what is going on there? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that as humans, as humans, we want credibility. And that credibility comes from something or someone above. Our culture is obsessed with higher things. Because as humans, we are created to recognize higher. We're created to look up. Now, as Christians, we look up to God. We, we, we love the idea that there's a sovereign God. I don't know about you, but when I'm walking through the mire, I'm so glad that there's a God who walks on top of the water. Amen? But how does, how does the world live? How do they live not knowing that God is there with them through all of it, but above it as well? How do they do it? Well, they have to have other idols. So we have idols, right? I mean, my goodness, we have a show called American Idols. It's literally a TV show that is a factory for creating people to look up to. 
right? We, we, we create these people, and then we go, look up to them, look up to them. And it has. It's created celebrities. And we're, we're, we're concerned about the celebrities. Oh, Kate Middleton had another kid. Yes, she's a woman. Who's married? That's, you know, she, it's her privilege. Like, who cares? But, like, there's all these celebrities, and, and there's all these athletes, right? Or we're all upset about this athlete or what this athlete did or said. There's, there's all of these rich people, right? We're like, oh, you remember a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and... Oh, you remember that too? Oh my gosh, I love that show. And what was the name of the guy who voiced it? Robin Leach. I'm Robin Leach. You know, and he'd, he'd talk about all these homes and all this stuff. And we just look, we go, oh, wow. Wow, what did they do? You know, how did they get there? Politicians, scientists, teachers, military generals. But now we live in a time where all of these people are suspect, including the group that almost everybody universally looked up to 50 years ago, pastors. All of these personas are now corruptible in our mind. They're, they're, they're up for grabs, aren't they? I mean, who knows? What's the climate data saying? And is this, is this scientist telling the truth about this new drug? Is, is he lying because Big Pharma has purchased him, right? The scientist. So we, we don't trust the scientist. Then we, we go, oh, did you know there was a time when people looked up to politicians? If you read letters, I mean, not all, all of them, but people looked up to their local politicians. They cared about the politicians, especially state and local. But that's gone now, isn't it? The rich, the powerful, even our ministers are failing us. I, I am old enough now, I am old enough now to have pastor friends who have failed. Ugh, that stinks. That stinks. You know, they were, they were in their 20s. We were in our 20s. We would minister together. It was fun. It was exciting. We were making peanuts but doing great things for God. And, you know, you're just pushing the kingdom forward. And then something happened. In their 30s and early 40s, they, they start to fall away. And you go, what happened? Where, where did you go wrong? Who do you swear on? I started writing a list of people I know who have fallen away from church, fallen away from their relationship with God because of failed ministers. And I had to stop counting because I had other things to do. Shame on those pastors. Shame on those ministers. It's a high calling. If you're a teacher in this room, you have a high calling. Be careful with those little kids. I can't tell you how many young people I have to deal with because some stupid word came out of a third grade teacher's face to a little girl or a little boy and now they think they stink at math or they're dumb or whatever. Words have power. And power has authority. And authority comes from God himself. And if you're not careful, you could really hurt somebody. Sick people create sick kids. But what, what do we swear on? I mean, even think about our financial instability right now. You know, it came back to, we used to have, the standard was gold, right? The gold standard. Now we know for a fact that there's more money in print and more digital money in, in digital bank accounts than we'll ever have in Fort Knox. It's instability. 
It's unsustainability. What's the collateral a bank asks you when they ask for a loan, when you ask for a loan? What, what do you have to give me if you default on the loan? But what do the banks have to answer to? They don't have to answer to anybody, so we don't trust the banks anymore. You see what I'm getting at? All of our society right now is in flux. It's like on an ocean. How many of you have ever been on a cruise before? Anybody been on a cruise? All right, all right, all right. Uh, I was on a cruise, and I think I'm done with them. I did it, and uh, uh, I think I'm done with them. It was a seven-day cruise. I won't name the cruise, um, but uh, I think the boat was called the SS Barnacle Barge. And, uh, and we hit some, uh, uh, the captain got on the, the horn and said, oh, we're going to have a rough patch of seas for the next uh, seven days. Oh, I was green, all the shades of green. And you know what was even worse is you get off the boat and you think everything's going to be okay. It isn't because you get used to the rocking motion. This is how I would walk down the hallways of my house for like two weeks after. I was so sick. And you get acclimatized to that rocking motion. You get acclimatized, even though it makes you sick. As a Christian, we have to be so careful that we not... Uh, the Bible says be in the world, but not of the world. And I think sometimes the world is so much in conflict with what we believe that we start to get seasick. Here's what I learned on my first scuba dive trip in Pompano Beach, Florida. Burritos are a bad choice. 101 degrees and a barge full of inexperienced scuba divers and you're wearing a wetsuit. Burritos were a bad choice. That boat. And the best you can do is go to the back of the boat, you know, come to the front of the boat, drink a Capri Sun, Wait five minutes, rinse and repeat, right? That, like, like the boat, you're just like, and then they have to stop at different areas and drop scuba divers off. And these scuba divers have no idea what we're doing, right? We got feet this long. We've got 80 million pounds of stuff on the back of us. Some of them already had their mask on and everything, and they're like this, and he's like, take that off your face. You know, none of these people knew what they were doing. And so then you're just, you're, you're, you're waiting. On the ocean, I'm like, okay, this is never happening again. There was one lady, and she turned gray. Julie will tell you, we were, we were going and getting our scuba certification, and you have to do an exit dive, they call it. It's the big dive. And, and, you had to get, and, and there was this lady who refused to get in the water. And so what she did was she presented herself as a burnt offering to the entire boat and laid there and moaned ashen gray for three hours, and we had to watch her. Because the boat was like a circle. We're all sitting on the edge of the perimeter. And she stays right in the middle, moaning like a beached whale. You know, and we're like, oh, somebody put her out of her misery. And the captain leaned over and he goes, you'll feel better if you just look out onto the horizon. Why? Because the horizon was steady. It was us that were moving. 
The horizon. So the first thing I want you to write down is you need and I need something stable to focus on. This is how we're going to cure our cultural and spiritual seasickness. You need something. I need something stable to focus on. The captain said, look out. Look out, guys. Look out at that, that lighthouse. I mean, I mean, come on, what a great sermon example. Look at the lighthouse, hello. And so I was like, I was like I'm going to write this down. I'm, no, I'm not going to write this down. I'm just going to look, just going to look. And, and so I re- but I remember the captain of the boat saying that. And then, you know, it didn't get rid of all of it. But what I did, the next thing, cured my motion sickness instantly. You know what that was? The captain said, get in the water. Get in the water. Because what's happening is the waves are moving, The ground is steady, the boat is moving at a different pitch even of the waves, and then your body is on top of a seat which has a tank and there's even a different motion there, and then she's laying in the middle of the thing like a beached whale. So we got all sorts of issues going on here and it's messing you up. In fact, um, the, the problem of seasickness is very complex. In fact, Dramamine really only just deadens your ability of balance. So that's why you, you don't want to like take that and then do operate heavy machinery because you ain't going to be no good at it. And so it's actually very complex. In fact, um, can I have you three ladies come here and help me with something? This is, this is a, uh, it's not just a physiological problem. It's also an astronomical problem. Ooh, everybody go, ooh. Give it up for these awesome ladies. They didn't know I was doing this. Come here, come here, come here, come here. In astronomy, this is called the three-body problem. Now, we have uh, scientists and all those kinds of people that have been laboring over this very unique problem for a long time. It's very interesting, and I'll show you why. Okay, so let's say you're the sun. Ah, the sun. Hi, what's your name? Bree. Bree. Everybody say, hi, Bree. Okay, so Brie is the sun. Hi, sun. Okay, and what's your name? Allie. It's Allie, everyone. Everybody say, hi, Allie. Allie, I want you to move over here. Okay, and who's this lovely young lady? I'm Lauren. It's Lauren, everybody. Say hi, Lauren. Okay, for the moment, you ladies just kind of stand right there. Okay, now you, Brie, you're the sun. S-U-N. You're a girl. And, and so as the sun, you're representing, it's pretty easy for astronomers and mathematicians and theoretical physicists to discover the location, velocity, all those kinds of interesting data points about one body, a solar body, a cosmic body, one item, okay? That's you. You're the sun. Hey, she's here, right? Now, one of the things that's interesting is the sun also rotates. So let's see some rotation. Could you spin for me? Everybody go, good, yay! All right, give her a big hand, all right? Okay, all right, go. Yeah, it was a good spin. It was a good spin. They like it. Okay, now you're going to represent the Earth, okay? This would be a two-body problem, okay? Now, does the Earth go around the sun? Yes. Yes, but it goes a little slowly, so uh, I want you to orbit the sun for me, okay? And, And you'll just follow me. Are you ready? All right, very good. Isn't she doing a great job? Okay, 
That's a two-body problem. Now, when one thing moves, you're doing real good. Just keep going. When one thing moves, it's almost always in a straight line. When two things come into interaction, they interact with each other and their momentum. And so that's a gravity issue. The gravity of the sun is slowly sucking in the earth. In fact, the earth is actually in free fall. It's always falling towards the sun, but it never does because it then keeps going in an ellipse. Does that make sense? Okay, now we have the moon, and this is where the math gets really hinky. In fact, we don't know for certain, we know 99.7% where the earth, the sun, and the moon are at any one time, but that extra 0.03 or whatever the percent is, that thing is theoretical physics, and we don't actually know because when you introduce a third body, the three-body problem, you have an issue. Okay, stop right there, Earth, Moon. The Moon orbits the Earth. Now, one of the interesting things is, is we have never seen the backside of the Moon, and so it always faces the Earth. So what you're going to do is you're going to face the Earth while the Earth orbits Okay, And then the Earth, in addition, is also going to orbit as it goes in a circle around the sun. Oh, and the sun itself is in a rotation, so I'm going to have you rotate too. Are you ready? I think they're ready. It looks easy, right? It's just three things, right? Okay, ready? One, two, three, go! All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, no, no, the moon goes much faster than that. I mean, the, you, you made like one month there. Yeah, 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 there we go. There we go. Come on, moon, you got to keep up. You're almost showing your backside to the, the earth there. All right, all right, you get the idea. Give him a big hand. Thank you, guys. The three-body problem is this. All of these items start interacting. They are, start messing with one another. And you know what? I have found... That when a financial crisis hits, you have babies. I, I've just found that happens. Why? Because babies are expensive. Hence the financial crisis. You can prepare all you want. You can prepare all you want. $70 a month in diapers. Come on. Come on, and those are the cheap ones that barely work. Listen, there are there are issues that crop up, but there's an old saying, and it's totally true. When it rains, it Oh, you've heard that one. And so what you need is something stable to focus on. For example, both of my parents had cancer the exact same time. And my mom had cancer that killed JFK. Uh, John Kennedy, actually. Right? Whoever had the brain tumor. Ted? Ted. Glad we got that out of the way. Should have looked that up. Well, I was thinking of the guy that died in the airplane. I mean, gee, what a family. Okay, so here's the thing. You know what that did for me? It made me. It made me, in part, because as I watched two healthy people get sick and still remain healthy. You follow me? Because even though their bodies, both of them, were ravaged by cancer. At exactly the same, could you imagine trying to take care of your wife with her cancer while you're going through cancer yourself? What a nightmare. And yet there is such dignity in suffering well. 
And that's something I learned. That's something I learned. And, and you know, you can, you, can, you can suffer in good things too. You know, I haven't had a good night's sleep since uh, like 2011, you know. And, and, and I'm not complaining, but there's, there's a toll that is taken there. And, and you, you have to be careful with your marriage. You have to be careful with how you talk to your wife when you're tired. And, you know, all of these things, they matter because as you're in that transition, how you deal with that transition always comes back to your focus. Are you looking at something stable. There's a lost art of suffering well in our social media-driven world. You ever notice that? With the constant updating, that letting everybody know, I bought some Hot Pockets. Okay? Hey, I'm microwaving these Hot Pockets. All right? Ah, burnt the roof of my mouth. I hate Hot Pockets. I hate you. You're the worst. Thumbs down if you'll never eat at Hot Pockets ever again, you know? Like, there's this, this constant updating, this constant sharing. And I think what it has done is it desensitizes us to suffering well. When we don't recognize it when we see it. We're like, what's their problem? Why are they so quiet? Why are they so weird? What's going on? And I think that the world we live in has shifted so much, it's enough to make you dizzy. In fact, verse 17 says this, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. Oh, thank God that there is one thing that doesn't change. Amen? God doesn't change. Your life is in constant flux. It is. It's a, even if you're bored. Your world is still in constant flux. Uh, scientists say that every seven years, every single cell, including your bones, are replaced. You're a new person every seven years. You're like, I looked in the mirror, I don't feel like a new person, I know. But like, like you're new. Everything is in flux. But God. Oh, thank the Lord that he is stable that he is unchanging. His mercies are never ending. They're never ceasing. God has a promise in this verse, and then he also has an oath. Now what's going on here? It, it, it says he made a promise to the heirs, but then he confirmed it with an oath. Well, here's how, we, we don't use the word oath because we think of it as a promise. But as Americans, promise doesn't mean anything anymore, right? So we're like, I promise to have and to hold until I get bored with you, right? Like promise is, is a pretty weak word in our culture. And so um, what, we got we to gotta work this out from a, a God language. So a promise, for example, is um, God will save man. But the oath is in the form of Jesus. So what happens is, is the oath means this thing is already done. You just haven't seen it yet. For example, when my kids are at school, they're in first grade now. We were having some uh, behavior issues. They're hyper like their dad. And they talk a lot. I, they get that from Julie, not me, but like, um, uh, uh, they, they, they were getting in trouble, and, and they were getting a green, and then a blue, and then an orange, and then, you know, they red, and I don't know, 
chartreuse and the periwinkle and the polka dot. I don't know how it was, you know, the color chart thing. And so they were, they were having bad color changes. And, and so we, you know, you try one thing, you try, you just, you just work on what it is. And what works for my kids is, uh, um, is a promise of some surprise, right? It's great because I don't have to actually know what it is until they actually hold me to it on Friday. They're like, we got green. And I'm like, uh, yeah, time for your surprise, guys. You know, you know, then I have to come up with something. But uh, uh, sometimes it's like, oh, good. Thank God they didn't do good this week. I don't have to, you know, come up with something. These, these surprises are getting expensive. But the, the promise happens on Monday. Do you follow? Guys? We're going to have a good, good day today. No spitting in the teacher's uh, uh, coffee again, right? The oath is on Friday. The promise is on money and the oath is on Friday. The oath is something that has already happened in the future. And that's what, that's what God does here. He says, look, I'm going to save you. He said that in, in the Garden of Eden. I, I know you've messed up. He, he, isn't this amazing? The very moment Adam and Eve failed, the very moment, he doesn't waste a, a second, he makes a promise with them. And then he makes an oath. But the oath doesn't happen for thousands of years when his son Jesus shows up on the scene. Isn't that powerful? And so the, the first uh, the second thing is, is I need to prepare now for future change. I need to prepare now for future change. Dramamine doesn't do you any good on the boat if it's in your medicine cabinet. You know what I'm saying? You, and, and of course, it's the one day you need it that you forget it. But if you pack right, if you pack your bags correctly and get ready for it, I need to prepare now for future change. How many of you are Twilight Zone fans? Come on, where's my Twilight? You remember Twilight Zone? Oh, my gosh. Every New Year's Eve, they do that big, like, run down. You guys hot? I'm roasting. You guys hot? Okay. Uh, can we turn that down a little bit? It is Hot fire up here, and I don't think it's my breath, because here's the deal. I love Twilight Zone, and my favorite episode is called The Shelter. Now, if you haven't seen this story, it's about a doctor who is having a party at his house, and he has a fallout shelter. And all of a sudden, sightings from the USSR, something is in the air on the way towards us, comes over the radio. And so everybody scrambles. And the, the, the dad and his wife and his kid, the doctor, they all get into their fallout shelter, right? And he cranks the door shut. And then realizing that none of the other people were prepared, they all come down into his fallout shelter and they're banging on the doors, let us in, let us in. He's like, look, you can stay in my basement, but you can't come into the shelter. I only have enough air and food and water for the three of us. This is all I have. And so what they do is they, I, they take some sort of thing and they batter in the door, ruining the fallout shelter for everyone. And then uh, in, in typical awesome Twilight Zone twist and, and they, they stick the needle in a little bit harder is it's just a satellite. It's just a satellite. There's no, no problem. And yet that neighborhood is destroyed. They don't trust each other. He knows who these people are now. You know, when circumstances change, it's tempting to assume your relationships with God have changed. Sometimes we get nasty in a transition, don't we? Sometimes bad things come out of us. Sometimes we yell in line at the airport because they messed up our flight, so we say things that we shouldn't say. 
And when circumstances change, I want you to know something. God doesn't. Listen, I deal every day with the reality that the statistics say 50%, half of young adults will leave the faith as soon as they get to their college. Half. That's, That's a reality, not in our church, but it's a reality in churches across America. We have a much better retention rate. In fact, it's 110%. We add, we add a Christian for every uh, 10 Christians who go to college. Amen? It's awesome. I, that's a real statistic from our attendance records. We add. But listen to me. Listen to me. This is a real statistic. It's a real problem. And you have to prepare now for future change. That's why we start preparing young adults uh, for the future when they hit fifth grade, sixth grade, when they hit first grade, kindergarten. Why? Because we know what's waiting for them down the road. We know the seasick, crazy, insane ethics of a, 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 a liberal college campus. We know what it's like. We're not saying don't go to college. I'm not saying that at all. If you want to go to college, and even if you want to go to a, a big, scary, secular college, God be with you, but your kid better be ready. I mean, if your kid just did travel soccer instead of going to youth group, shame on you, he's going to have a tough time. That's a hard word, but you got to hear it from a youth pastor who has seen that happen. Sports won't save your kid's soul. Well, yeah, but it, it teaches, you know, uh, teamwork and empathy. I know. I, I don't have a problem with that. Get them in church. And if the coach says, well, they got to be there on Wednesday night, you know what I've learned with coaches? If the kid's good enough, it's negotiable. If the quarterback ain't going to play on Friday because he missed half of a practice on Wednesday, you think the, the, the coach is going to go, well, I guess we'll just lose that one. Give me a break. If the coach doesn't honor God, are you more afraid of the coach or are you more afraid of God? That's just a hard word, but you got to hear it. Get your kids in church. Get them in church. I mean, you're here. You like believe in church. And your son and daughter should be too. It's worth it. I know they're a pain. I, I am a pastor's kid. I wanted to go to church and, and serve in the Lord. But you know what? When I was a teenager, I rolled my eyes and dragged, you know, like a puppy who's trying to get away. You know, like, I get it. I, it's annoying, but it's worth it. I need to prepare now for future change. I need to prepare my heart. I need to prepare my kids' hearts. Grandma and grandpa, don't you back away because you're the sun in the three-body problem. And you're looking at that little moon zipping around your son or your daughter, and you go, who is this kid, right? And her face is buried in a phone that you can barely use, and she's like, you know, she's using some new app. You just got on Facebook. You're like, I'm just trying to figure out how to go, you know. Like, you don't have to be hip. You don't have to be with it. You have to prepare her now for the future that's ahead of her. Someone prepared you. Someone poured into you. Someone cared about you. Someone, while you were a little moon zipping around the earth, someone was your earth. And while you were an earth holding on to that little moon and trying to figure it out, someone was your son. Maybe it's not even a biological parent, but there was someone who poured into your life. If you are just a consumer of faith, 
What a sad, dead end your life would be. Poor in. If nothing else, come here on Tuesday nights or Tuesday, Tuesday prayer and join us on your knees for these kids and these young adults. Join us. We, we beat down the door to heaven for these young people. I need to prepare now for future change. 18 says this. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us will be greatly encouraged. Listen, God, there is some things God can't do. One of them is lie. He can't lie. Another one, he can't break his promise. If he made a promise, it's not changing. Number three, I need to be smart enough to hold on. One thing I've learned is that during transition, people make simple mistakes that cost them their lives. They do simple but stupid mistakes because they panic. The more sudden the transition, the more stupid the mistake. I, uh, I briefly trained to be a lifeguard at a water park in Disney, uh, Florida. Uh, I, we, we lived too far away, and the money, it was like $5.35 an hour. Could you imagine making that? $5.35 an hour. I was like, okay, I can't drive a half hour for five bucks. But like, um, but I, I went through the training, and this old grizzled lifeguard came out and, and instructed us, and it was so fascinating. And he told me a couple of things. He said this, one of the most common occurrences for a drowning victim is they actually will swim towards the bottom of the pool. Because they get disoriented when they fall in. And in the, in the panic, they, they just make a decision. My lungs are burning. I need to breathe. And they start kicking in any direction that they think. And they'll actually go deeper and actually doom themselves. And so you have to save them from themselves. And he said, in fact, it's not uncommon when you get to a drowning victim, and they just call them drowning victims, when you get to a drowning victim to rescue them, to have them fight you. He was an old Pacific Coast lifeguard, and, and if you haven't been to the Pacific Coast, the waves are just wild. They're huge, unpredictable, and dangerous. He said that in some situations with an aggressive victim, they will punch the person in the face, put them in a headlock, put a foam thing underneath them, and drag them out of the water unconscious because they're so disoriented, they will actually kill the rescuer. And they'll take you both down. And so in, in, in a moment, they, these, these rescuers have to make these really uh, uh, crazy decisions. And I said, wow, $5.35 to go through that? I'll work at Publix. So I did. I can't tell you how many people I've run across who started out strong in their faith, but went through a rocky transition and blamed God. And blame God. I get it. I get it. Your marriage falls apart. That's got to hurt. But when you blame the only one who's not at fault, you do great disservice to yourself, to your soul. Everybody could be at fault, but God isn't. It could be everyone under the sun's fault, but it's not his fault. If, if, if someone close to you dies... God didn't kill him. The world is fallen and broken. And God took that person home, but he didn't kill him. And that hurts. And that's painful. But I'll tell you something. 
The Bible says in 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What makes Christians different? Is it that we're sinless? No. Is that we're better dressers? Obviously not. Are we better people? Better parents? Better marriage? No. No. Make more money? No. Hope. Hope. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. What do you do? Anchored to. Now, I learned a thing about anchors. Pastor has a boat now, and he finally trusted me to drive it. <laughs> Hope he doesn't watch this video. He had to go, and uh, he had to come back early. I think he actually uh, had to do something at church. And so he's like, you know, you guys keep playing. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take the uh, jet ski in. There's a jet ski, and he took that in. Ryan, you docked the boat. And I'm like, great. I can do this. I'm from Florida. We have water. It's a pontoon boat. Come on. I'm not going to flip. So I'm driving it. It's driving funny. Driving real funny. I don't know what's going on. So I gun it. That's what you do, right? When there's something wrong with the boat, you just hit it. I go to park it. I don't know. You park boats? I don't know. Dock it? I'm dock it. Aye, aye, Captain. On the starboard side, <laughs> leeward, right? And so, so I'm docking this thing. Oh, yeah. I pull up, right, like that. And the boat goes, I'm like, what? I hit it again. I'm like, what is going on? Everybody's watching me. They're like, do you know how to do this? I'm like, oh, yeah. Totally. I told the pastor, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I got this. You know, so I circle around three more times. What's going on? The anchors, two of them, were still down. I look back, and there was this big brown snake of muddy water leading from the middle of the lake to where we had pulled. I had just dragged these anchors along the bottom of the, the water, you know, like destroying fisheries and hatcheries, you know what I mean? It was like a scuba diver died down there, you know. And like, I pull up the anchors, and they're like these brown balls of mud, you know. I'm like, I don't want guys, you know. Like, uh. And so I finally parked this thing into the anchors, the anchors are mysterious to me. They're not that big. They're not that heavy. But I realized something in that moment. A strong anchor is important. And I also know that a strong anchor is important for you and me. So the third thing is, is the fourth thing is whatever number it is, I need an anchor strong enough to hold me. Don't you? Don't you need an anchor strong enough it's not that I can lift it. Am I strong enough for the anchor? That's not important. Is the anchor strong enough to hold me? In the ancient times, when the Holy of Holies was separated by a giant curtain, giant curtain. It was incredible. The extravagant wealth of such a, 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 a curtain was insane back in the day. There was no factory. It was handmade. The, the dyes, everything, unbelievable, extravagant wealth gone into this curtain. And the high priest would enter in once a year. 
once a year to represent the people and make an offering. And, 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 and they would tie a rope around his leg because just in case the Lord should see him as unworthy, he would be dead in an instant and they couldn't go in and get him. So they would pull his body out. We don't actually have an instance of this occurring, so apparently they did it right. But here's what would happen. Here's what would happen. Normal people had to have him as their anchor. Oh, thank God that that method is over. Because the new anchor is Jesus Christ. Do you have a firm grip on Jesus? I'm not talking about are you saved I'm not talking about a prayer you prayed when you were 13 because your youth pastor pressured you into it. I'm not even talking about do you go to church. I'm talking about when it all hits, when all of it hits, are you anchored? Does your anchor hold within the veil? We're going to sing that song, actually. I want to ask you a question. What is preventing you from trusting God as your anchor? What is preventing you from trusting God as your anchor? Or have you chosen another anchor and it's failed you? Did you choose money or your wife or your husband or your job or any of those other things that can fail you? Those anchors, they're nice, but they are not the anchor you need when you're going through a horrible, horrible storm. And when everything is rocking to and fro, are you looking at Jesus and are you hanging on for dear life? Or is everything up for grabs? Is everything up for grabs? Are you panicking? Do you have fear or distrust? Anchor your life to God through his son, Jesus. He sent his son to die for you. Yes. But even better than that, he sent his son to live for you. So here's how we're going to end today. I would like... Everybody, just to close your eyes for a moment. Let's do some soul work. Are you seasick? Are you seasick? Are you walking through something that is really shaking you? Are you in transition right now? Is it messing you up? Did cancer come from a phone call recently? The word cancer is terrifying transition. Terrifying transition. Did you lose somebody recently? Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe you found out you're pregnant, but you don't know how you're going to pay for it. You don't, you don't even have enough rooms in your house. Are you going to a new grade, a new level in your job or your school? Are you in a new place? This, this could be very exciting, but it's also new. It's terrifying. It's scary. And it actually is freaking out. Is a good thing causing you unease? Are you in a relationship transition right now and everything's swirling and you're desperate to hold it all together and you don't know how you're going to and you're worried about the kids and you're, you're just... What are we going to do? It doesn't seem like there's any hope. Trust in the Lord. My anchor holds. The Lord says, I've given you an anchor that will never fail. You got kids, you got grandkids that are away from the Lord, turning away, spitting in the face of the legacy that you've given them. And you just don't know what to do and you're freaking out about it. Don't freak out. 
God cares more about those little kids than you could ever care. And you care a lot. You love them. But God loves them more than 20 of you. Isn't that amazing that God would have sent his son to die even if only your child was the one who needed it? That's the anchor that you hold. The unchanging, unrelenting, unrepenting, unmoved God of heaven who looks down at you and says, My child, my child, I know it's all a mess, but I'm not going anywhere. I have never changed. I'm the same yesterday, right now. And whatever is coming up tomorrow, you don't see it. I see it all. I've seen to the end of this tape and the next one. Fear not. Oh, my seasick child, God says to you, calm yourself. Look onto the horizon. And on the third day, new life will spring up in the dry and barren places. I know you're seasick. I know you're nauseous. I know what you're going through is exhausting and tiring. If that's you today, I want you just to to stand to your feet and acknowledge, not to me, but to yourself. God knows what you're going through. But if you need to hold on to something, I want you just to stand to your feet on the count of three. One, two, three. This is a, a faith move for you. I don't need it. My ego doesn't require some big altar call. I don't need it. You need it. Your grandkids need it. Your family needs it. Your marriage needs it. That little baby, you, you, you wiped his bottom and you cleaned up his spit, and now he's spitting in your face. You need it. Now, to protect the privacy of everybody in here, I want you just to all stand quietly, if you would. I'm going to pray. And what I'd like you to do is if you need the God of heaven, you need to get a good, firm grasp on the soul of Jesus, you can find it right here at the altar. I'm going to ask right now all the pastors and deacons, elders, wives, come on down here, and we're going to pray.